Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. ask you that you take notes, um, even if you don't usually take notes, I'd like to ask you to take notes uh, today. Um, I feel what, what I want to share with you is, is God beginning to kind of give clear instructions as to how we live in the new. Um, you know, uh, on our journey, the children of Israel had um, gone through and we kind of mirrored that journey for a year and a bit. And then they had crossed over the Jordan and they found themselves in this promised land, in the new thing that God had promised them. And so if you want a title for today's message, um, the title is It Happened at Gilgal. It Happened at Gilgal. So Father, we ask that you will breathe upon your word we ask that you will give us instruction from it. You will bring revelation about your word. We ask, Heavenly Father, that it will transform our lives. It will position us for what you're planning to do in the new with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Joshua, the, first, the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua, I, I would love to read the first 12 verses of the, the fifth chapter of the book of Joshua. <clears throat> so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the children of Israel until we crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, <clears throat> Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. 
Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. What are the highlights of that story? Well, as they came in um, into, the promise, into the promised land, their enemies, the Amorites and the Canaanites, their kings were afraid um, of the children of Israel. And they were afraid not because of the children of Israel, but because they knew God was with the children of Israel. They had heard the amazing things that God had done on behalf of the children of Israel. So without encountering the children of Israel, they were already frightened. The Bible says their hearts melted. Now, as the children of Israel came into the promised land, you know it wasn't the people who set out that in the 40 years, literally everyone who set out uh, by Joshua and Caleb uh, had died. Uh, God had literally killed them in the wilderness. And the reason God killed them was because they were disobedient and they did not believe the promise that God had made them. And all those who came out of Egypt um, had all been circumcised. It was part of the religious rites of the children of Israel. But those who were born in the wilderness in the 40 years, who had now come into the promised land, had not been circumcised. And so they arrived at a place called Gilgal, and, and God said to Joshua, they have to be circumcised. And so Joshua circumcised all the men, all the, all the, all the men, all the males, um, and they had to sit there to allow the uh, circumcision to heal. Um, and when the circumcision healed, um, they con they con they on that day in Gilgal, uh, they celebrated the Passover, uh, the first time in the promised land, in the new. And then they also, something miraculous happened. The manna that they had been fed by for 40 years suddenly ceased. But then God made another provision for them. For the first time in 40 years, they ate the fruit of the land. Amen? That, in a sense, is the story. But there are certain things that are life lessons from that story. I'm actually very excited about this story as to how it speaks into where you are and where I am. As to how it speaks into what God is doing for us in the new. The first thing that I wanted you to understand very clearly is that the enemy, our adversary, and his cohorts, his demons on assignment, are afraid of any child of God who knows who he is or she is and whose he is or she, or she whose he is or she is. So you know who you are and you know who owns you. That's the first thing. They are afraid of you. Now they're afraid of you not because of yourself, but they're afraid of your God, the God who is behind you. I, like I said, 
the Bible says the king of, kings of the Amorites, their leaders, the kings of the Canaanites, they hadn't had any encounter with the children of Israel, but they just heard that they were coming and their hearts melted. I want you to know that once you know who you are and whose you are, the kingdom of darkness is afraid of you. You know, you know the story um, uh, that, that the Bible tells in Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 17 to 20. Um, and I've just paraphrased the story because, we, because I'm conscious of time. Um, 70 disciples had been sent out by Jesus. Um, when those 70 disciples came back to Jesus, they brought a report. And they said to Jesus, we were amazed. We were shocked. The demons trembled. They were afraid of us. They obeyed us. And Jesus' response is instructive. He says to them, literally what he's saying, is the reason that is happening is because their leader has been toppled. He has been dethroned. I saw him falling from heaven like lightning to the ground. And then he now goes on to tell them who they are, the authority that they have. He says, now you understand that I have imparted to you, given to you, all my authority to trample over his kingdom. So we have the authority. He knows we have the authority. He just hopes that we don't know that we have the authority. That's why a Christian who knows who she is, who he is, and whose you are, you simply can't be afraid of the kingdom of darkness. He's already fallen to the ground and you have been given authority by Jesus over his kingdom. He goes on to, to, to make graphic this authority. He says... You will trample upon every demon before you, every demon before you. You have the authority to trample upon them. That's who you are in Christ. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. That is who you are. You, you, you have the authority in Christ to overcome every power Satan possesses absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. Can someone say amen to that? That's who you are. That's who we are. But then he goes on to say to them, that's really a byproduct. The real thing that should cause you to rejoice is your salvation. That your name has been written in the book of life. And because of your salvation, because your name is written in the book of life, the authority you have is a byproduct. It comes with the package. And that's who you are. So I rebuke every fear, every spirit of fear that tries to limit your exercise of that authority in the name of Jesus, amen and amen, amen. The second thing that that story tells us as we find ourselves where we are is that unbelief will prevent a person from entering the new that God has for them. 
a whole generation died in the wilderness and didn't enter the promised land because they simply could not embrace the promise that God had made to them. They simply could not by faith reach out and embrace this promise. Believe what God had said. As long as you know God made the promise to you, it might not make sense. It might not add up. You might not know how he's going to bring it to pass. Just embrace it and trust him. Have faith in him. Believe in him. If he said it, he is going to do it. And so I want to remind you. I want to ask that the Spirit brings to your remembrance the promises that God has made to you. It might seem like it's impossible. Your mind is asking, how is it going to happen? But let's borrow a leaf from the mother of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when she was presented with what was naturally impossible. But her response as she embraced the promise is what led to our Lord and Savior being born. May everything that the Spirit is pregnant with concerning you be given birth to just simply because you, you've chosen to believe what God has said. If he said you're going to be healed, you are going to be healed. If he says you're going to have that child, you're going to have that child. If he says that door is going to open, that door is going to open. If he says that circumstance is going to change, that circumstance is going to change. If he says we will see revival in this land, we will see revival in this land. As the Bible says in Numbers 23 verse 19, and let this scripture be stamped on your heart. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent, that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Can someone say amen to that? I, I just wanted to encourage you, my sister, my brother, I wanted to encourage you, believe God. Believe God. Believe that God will do what he has said he would do. Amen and amen. Number three. Amen. What else can we glean from, from that scripture? Well, the, the, the one that stands out, that jumps at us, is that you cannot enter the new until you have been circumcised. Now, of course, it talks about a physical circumcision. And it's a rite that is, um, is part of uh, the the Judaism, um, it's part of some other faiths, it's part of some cultures, the circumcision of, uh, of, of male children. Um, that's part of cultures. Of course, there's, there's the abhorrent act of uh, um, um, the circumcision of women, which is really mutilation. Um, and of course, that's totally ab abhorrent, and, and we condemn it, and we stand against it. 
But for a lot of our, our cultures and a lot of faiths, especially uh, the Judaism, um, parts of the Christian faith, certainly the culture that I come from, it's normal on the eighth day uh, for the male child to be circumcised. And you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a circumcision take place. Um, um, I've seen one. Uh, or did I? I'm not sure if I've seen two, but I certainly remember seeing one um, because we have two sons. And it, it's, it's quite an experience as uh, the foreskin of, of, of the male genital is cut off. It's a very bloody experience. That blood is shed as the foreskin is cut off. And you can tell that there is pain involved. Um, I barely could watch it when, it when it took place. That's exactly what happened to grown men. Not an eight-day-old child. Grown men. They were circumcised. And of course, if you're circumcised at that age, you can't do anything. They, so they had to sit down and wait to be healed. Now, this is an interesting thing that happened because these were men who knew they had enemies around. These were men of war. But they had to sit down, unable to fight if their enemies came against them, whilst waiting to be healed of this circumcision. But then Paul now tells us that for the New Testament believer, it's not a physical circumcision that God is talking about. And so culturally, we might still do it. That's a cultural expression. But that cultural expression does not commend us to God. It is the circumcision of our hearts that commends us to God. The cutting away of the flesh of our hearts, the foreskin of our hearts that commends us to God. And it's a circumcision that is done by the Holy Spirit himself. Look at the way Paul puts it in, in Proverbs the second, Romans the second chapter, verses 28 and 29. He says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, that's the outward physical sign of circumcision, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying that what commends, he was speaking about, about Jews, but then, it's applicable to every single one of us. What commends the Jew to God is not the outward expression of Judaism. It's not what they do. How does that apply to us? What commends us to God is not our works. It's not um, all the things we do. I give my tithe. I give my offerings. That's brilliant. Fantastic. You're obeying, obeying the laws, obeying God's injunction. But that's not what really commends us to God. Because God looks, as he said, at the heart. He says, it's what has been done in the heart. It's the circumcision of the heart and it is done by the Spirit of God. He goes on to say in Colossians 2 verse 11, he says, through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, 
has accomplished for us. Amen. So I want to quickly tell you a couple of things that this means. So this symbolic gesture, this outward uh, uh, circumcision, what does it mean for you and I as New Testament believers? And I, um, these things, I'm going to run through them, there are a few of them, and I'm sure uh, the connect groups, uh, that's why you must belong to connect groups, because the connect groups, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask them to break this down uh, when, when they meet on, when, on Wednesday. So what, what does this mean, this circumcision? Paul says it's not the outward circumcision, so you can't just get yourself circumcised, uh, Paul was saying, and then think that that has done it. No, no, no. Um, it's a circumcision of the heart. For if it was just the outward circumcision, it would, it would be dealing with men and it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't be dealing with women. So Paul says it's not that. It's, it's a picture. It's a graphic picture of something else that is significant that God counts, the circumcision of the heart. Now, what does that graphic picture tell us when we have our heart circumcised by the Spirit of God, where we have the flesh, the foreskin, cut away. Uh, and it's symbolic that as it is done, there is the shedding of blood. And that points a, 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 a very clear, paints a very clear picture of the significance of the blood of Christ that was shed, as the Bible says in Colossians 2 verse, verse 11, um, because of what Christ, the anointed one, accomplished for us. So what does this do? Well, number one, very quickly, we are free from the guilt and power of sin. Uh, that's what circumcision does. Uh, once you are in union with Christ, your heart is circumcised, you are free from the guilt, the condemnation. The accuser can't accuse you anymore. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you hear that voice trying to bring up your past, the mistakes you made, it has to be the devil. And it's a lie because in Christ, by the blood of Jesus, God has chosen to have selective amnesia. He has forgotten because the blood has washed it away. So we are free by circumcision from the guilt and the power of sin. So sin has no hold over us. So as the Bible says, we can reckon to ourselves that we are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. The Bible says, reckon to yourself. Now that word is powerful. It means think about it, meditate on it, come to a conclusion that you don't hold, you don't have power over me sin. I'm not going back to that sin. I can break out of this addictive cycle. I can break away from this, this sin because I have the power through Christ and through the cross to do so. Can someone say amen? So number one, circumcision makes clear that we are free from the guilt and power of sin. Number two, by circumcision, we are identifying ourselves as God's own. Of course, I'm on point number three, but this is just, maybe I should say ABC so that you don't get confused. Okay, so B, um, we are identifying ourselves as God's own. That's what circumcision does. All the nations around, they, they didn't circumcise their males, their male, male, male children. It was the children of Israel who circumcised their male. And so that was a, an outward sign that these are God's own. Now, as we enter this phase, this season of our life, the new that we're entering, we must be ready to identify ourselves as God's own. We must be ready. And you know, it's heartening 
it was heartening for me to, to see uh, um, some of our, our footballers in the public square identify themselves as God's own. That was heartening to me because that's what it's about. Uh, I identify myself as God's own. Sometimes it might attract persecution, but that is par for the cause. It might attract ridicule. That's okay. You know, I'm amazed as to how people won't ridicule some of the expressions of the New Age philosophy. Some of it is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking, but, but they'll ridicule the Christian for uh, speaking in tongues, for um, giving a tithe, uh, for their adherence, adherence to the faith. So it tells me that there is, there is something sinister behind the, behind the ridiculing that is going on. They'll ridicule the Christian for taking a, a position and taking a, a, a chance. Like this cancel culture will try and ostracize the Christian for taking a position. But then doesn't Jesus tell us that will happen? It says that will happen. It is part of the stripes we bear. When he promises you many things on, in heaven and many things on earth, he also says it comes with some degree of persecution. Increasingly so as we get towards the end of the ages. So we, are ident we identify ourselves as God's own by the circumcision of our hearts. No, and, and number three or C, we are committing ourselves to obeying God. We are committing ourselves to obeying him. That's part of what circumcision does. We, it's an act of obedience. That's what the children of Israel did. Because the, the, the religious rites said they, they do it, their laws said they do it, they did it as an act of obedience. Now, it's our heart that is circumcised, but as it is circumcised, we are committing ourselves to obeying God's laws. You know, I was taking a walk recently, and God said to me that, you know, you, you, say, you, you say you love me. I said, I do. He said, what, do you think, what is the sign of the fact that you love me? And I thought about it for a second. And then it just came to me that I obey your commands. That's the yardstick of God's love. It's not the song that I sang. It's not the offering that I gave. It's not that I supported the poor and the marginalized. It's not the works that I do. That's what I'm trying to say. It is that I have chosen to obey your commands. That's the yardstick of love. Number four, that we are committing ourselves to trusting in God alone. Uh, and, and, and look at the graphic example of those who were circumcised. This, at a time where they had enemies around them, God said, you've got to be circumcised. They knew that if we're circumcised, we are incapable of responding if our enemy attacks us, certainly for a few days. But in that time, we have to trust God that he will protect us. It was a test of how much they trusted God. So part of our circumcision is that we are entering a, a new place, where a new level of trusting God and trusting God alone. Number five, that we are committed to a deeper consecration, a deeper walk, a deeper intimacy. 
and that we must understand that it's a work of the Spirit, but we have to surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Amen? And you can break that down at, in the connect groups. So the fourth thing, uh, the third thing was circumcision. The fourth thing that we glean from those scriptures is that their reproach was rolled away. You know, God said to Joshua, I think it's verses 8 and 9, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now, when it talks about rolling away the reproach, because I feel that that is something that the Spirit of God is going to do in your life in the next few minutes. I believe so. That whatever was a reproach, whatever brought shame, whatever attracted blame is going to be rolled away. It has to be rolled away uh, as you enter the new. You can't carry the shame of the past, the stigma of the past, the blame of the past, the criticism of the past, the rebuke of the past. You can't carry that into your new. Uh, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, part of the blessing of where you are is that today, the 20, the, what's today's date? The 18th? 18th of July, 2021. You will write in your diaries, electronic or, or paper diaries, that all my reproach was rolled away in the name of Jesus. And you know, so many things that could have brought shame, uh, blame, the blame of, of sin. The accuser of the brethren just simply won't let go of something that you did. You live with the fear of discovery. You just can't move forward. The shadow constantly follow, follows you everywhere. The stigma of something you did. The shame of it. Others might not know, but you feel the shame of it in your heart. I've cancelled people who say because of something they did, they feel so dirty and, and they just can't seem to wash away the filth of something that they did. The stigma of it. The blame that is attached to it. Well, I want to tell you that in the name of Jesus Christ, every reproach on your life is rolled away right now in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen to that? And I want to encourage you to pray into that, to take away that word that's spoken and pray into it that every reproach of every kind is rolled away. <coughs> and then, number five, as I come to an end. <coughs> it's a day of new provision. Two days ago, I told my, my, my wife, Shola, I woke up and I heard the voice of the Lord very clearly in my spirit. And what did God say to me? He says, I'm taking you into a wealthy place. He says, but it is for the sake of the kingdom. I want to say to you, I don't believe it's a word that I received for myself. 
I believe is a word that I received for us as a people. That God is taking you into a wealthy place, but it is for the sake of the kingdom. Can someone say amen? Um, if you, your amen will tell me how you, much you believe the word that has come. And God says that. He's taking you into a wealthy place. He's expanding your territory. He's creating space for you. And it is for the sake of the kingdom. Now, for the children of Israel, what happened was that the old way of provision stopped suddenly. And a new way of provision was presented to them. For 40 years, the only provision they had known was manna. It fell from the sky and they ate it. But now, the provision was from the land. Of course, there was something different now. Because they would have to till the land, be diligent. But then God was going to bless their diligence. And they were going to get provision uh, from the land. Uh, and that was what happened. And so I believe that like the word that we received paints, the picture it paints. I believe that rivers, rivers in the desert is talking about multiple streams of income for some people. And if that's you, your amen will tell me it's you. It's talking about provision not coming from one place alone but God beginning to open wells around you and open different rivers of provision to you. Amen? I believe that when, when the picture paints, uh, the picture that it paints of a way in the wilderness, I believe that that word that we have stood on means for someone that that season of being in a wilderness with regards to provision is over because God makes a way in the wilderness. Can someone say amen to that? And as I meditated uh, on this last stage of this word, I knew that there were two things that God wanted uh, uh, me to, to do, to encourage us to do. The first thing, of course, was as I read how they partook of the Passover, the Lord, by his spirit, said to, said to me, you must have your first communion in your new. And so I, I sent a message um, to Doc to say, we will do communion on Friday, and it will be the communion, the first communion in the new. Amen? Amen? This is, they crossed into the promised land. They crossed the Jordan. And then they had the Passover. And I feel that communion on Friday will be arguably the most significant we have had as a church family. Uh, because this is the communion in the new. Amen. So Friday 7 p.m. Uh, we'll be having communion in the new. And the second thing that, that I felt God lay on my heart was that I was to receive our first special offering in the new. Now, interestingly, the way God ministered it to me personally, and I'll share this with you, as he was saying to me, this is what I want you to sow. He was saying to me, 
forget every offering you have given in Jesus' house. And instantly I heard, forget the former things. Forget the things of old. He said, behold, I do a new thing. And with this offering that I'm going to receive, I do a new thing in your finances. This is how God was speaking to me. And this is on the back of him telling me, I'm taking you into a, a spacious place, a wealthy place. And so on Friday, when we take the communion, we will receive that offering. Now, what I ask of you is it has to be by the Spirit. The circumcision is by the Spirit. Please spend the few days between now and Friday saying to the Spirit, what is it you are asking that I give as that special offering into the new? Um, around this provision that we have spoken about. You and the Spirit. Nobody tells you but the Spirit of God. My prayer is that you will hear the Spirit of God with clarity. Amen? But remember, like God told me, forget the former things. So my, my, my go-to was to reference the last special offering I took. And God said, forget that. Uh, and then God told me specifically in my spirit what he wants me to sow into that offering. And I believe that these things are going to be catalysts that will propel us uh, into where God wants us to be. Amen and amen. And then next week, Sunday, um, we, we come against Jericho. Can someone say amen to that? Uh, we, we come to the Jericho uh, and then we see what God will do with that as we press on into the land that is flowing with milk and honey. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name and exalt you. Lord, expand your word in our hearts, O oh God. Uh, we haven't had the time to break it down, but by your spirit, break it down. Give us the diligence to be like the Berean Christians, to go back, O oh God, and, and go through all that you have spoken to us by your spirit and by your word. We give you all the praise and glory. And if there's anyone who hasn't started this journey, um, the start of the journey of the circumcision of the heart is where we are in union with Christ. We have given our lives to him. We have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And if you're out there and you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you're here in church, you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior, what a wonderful opportunity. I would love the privilege to pray with you as you start your union with him to establish yourself in what God has planned for you as the new. And if you would just say this prayer with me, um, it's as simple as that because by our confession and by believing what we confess, we are translated into the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift that your son Jesus Christ is. I open up my heart. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I commit to obeying your word. Give me the grace to do so, Heavenly Father. I turn away from anything sinful in my life as I embrace you and embrace your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. 
By this prayer, Heavenly Father, I declare that I am now a child of yours, born again today into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer here, if you would just slip your hand up wherever you are, if you're in here uh, in the physical presence. Go on, I just want to know that you said that prayer. Anybody said that prayer here? Um, if you said the prayer online, um, if you would just uh, uh, click on the link that has appeared um, on your screen. Um, if you're on the GHTV platform, um, where it says raise your hand, uh, you can click on that box. God bless you, and we want to say welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Those of you who are in-house, can you say welcome to the family of God? Go and appreciate those who've joined the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.